Solomon wrote it kind of like this in Proverbs 13 and verse 20. It says this. It says, walk with the wise and you will become wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. Basically, this is what Solomon is saying. He's saying, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. The people that you hang around with are going to influence your life. And if you hang around some wise people, if you hang around people who are making wise decisions, if you hang around people who love God and live pure, if you're hanging around people who love their wife and their children, who are wise with their money and wise with their decisions and wise in areas of their life, then guess what? If you hang around those people long enough, you will become wise just like them. But he goes on and says that a companion of fools will suffer harm. If you hang out with people who are foolish, if you hang out with a bunch of numbskulls, if you hang out with a bunch of idiots, if you hang out with people who are out partying and at the bars and all kinds of stuff, if you hang around with people who aren't wise with their money or who aren't loving their wives or who haven't put God first in their life, you will become just like the people that you spend your time with. Walk with the wise and you will become wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. And the truth is, this works in so many ways in our lives. In fact, I can just tell you from experience in my life, almost every single time that I have made a good decision, almost every single success in my life, I can trace back to good influences. People that I have had in my life who have influenced me in a positive way, people who have given me godly counsel, people who have helped me, friends that I've had, almost every success in life can be traced back to that. And the opposite is all also true that almost every time I've ever found myself in trouble, every time I've found myself making a bad decision, every time I've found myself somewhere that I probably shouldn't be doing something that I probably shouldn't be doing, I can trace it back to the influences, the people in my life. How many know you very rarely get in trouble by yourself? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about friendships over this next few weeks. We're going to talk about relationships. We're investing in relationships in this series. And what we're going to do today is just start to kind of lay a foundation for friendship. And what I want you to do, I want you to get your, get your notes out today from your worship guide. And in your worship guide today, there's a, little, there's a little space there. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to just take just a second here. And I want you to think about who are your top five Friends, Who are your closest five friends? If you have a pen or something, I want you to start writing them down. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about someone that you know. I'm not talking about your imaginary friend. I'm not talking about your dog. I'm talking about the kind of friend that you can call at 3 o'clock in the morning. The kind of friend that really knows you. The kind of friend that you have a deep and personal and intimate relationship with. I want you to just take just a second just, and just write down your five closest friends. Go ahead and do that today. Some of you aren't writing. Start writing. Come on. Some of y'all maybe don't have any friends. I don't know. And while you're doing that, let me just tell you this. Sociologists say that you are the average of your five closest friends. Like, you can look at that list of five friends that you're writing down right now, and you can find that you will be right in the middle somewhere of those five closest friends, whether it's economically, you will have some that are better off than you, some that are not as well off as you, you're going to be right in the middle of your five closest friends, whether it's success in business or life, you'll have some that are a little more successful than you and some that are not quite as successful as you, and you're going to be right in the middle, morally, almost every area of your life, you can look at your five 
five closest friends and you can see that you're going to be right in the middle. You're going to be the average of your five closest friends. Your friends, your relationships will influence the direction of your life. They are a picture of your future. You show me your friends and I will show you your future. So let's talk about this for a minute. What is friendship anyway? If this stuff is so important, then what, what does it mean to be a friend? And what is a friend? And there are a lot of different definitions. But for this series, I want to look at what the Bible says about being a friend. And so I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 17. And let's see what the, what the, the FBV version says here this morning. It goes like this. A friend is someone you may or may not know very well who accepts your request on Facebook. This person is born to like your comments or like and comment on your posts and to make you feel good about yourself. That's the FBV, Facebook version, okay? Now, obviously, that's not a real version, but we do have to admit today that Facebook really has influenced the way we see friendships in our world today. And I don't think that Facebook friendships are real friendships according to the Word of God. Nothing wrong with Facebook. I'm not bashing Facebook. I'm on Facebook. In fact, you see our church on Facebook. Some of you are here at church today because you've seen our church on Facebook. But I am telling you that Facebook really does, and all kinds of social media, really do influence the way we see friendship, and I don't think the way we see friendship in a Facebook world is really the kind of friendship that the scripture is talking about. In fact, let's look at the real version this morning. In Proverbs 17 and verse 7, look what it says. It says, a friend loves at all times. Everybody say all times. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Man, wouldn't it be powerful in our lives if we had some friends like that? That at all times they were there as our friends. That when we're up, they're our friends. And when we're down, they're our friends. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be powerful? Wouldn't it change your life if you had some people that you could do life together with? Some people that you don't just shake hands in the foyer at church. And you don't just know on Facebook. But some people who truly know you deep down inside. Who know the real you and yet still love you. Wouldn't it be powerful if you had some relationships with some people who weren't just friends for a few months or weren't just friends for a year or two, but were friends for life, the kind of friends that they're there when your kids are born, and they're there when your kids go to their first day of school, and they're there when your kids get their driver's license, and they're there at your kids kids wedding. Wouldn't it be powerful if you had those kinds of lifelong friends who are there for you in the ups and the downs, a friend that would love you at all times? Wouldn't that change your life? The sad fact is, is that most people never truly have that kind of friendships. In fact, statistics tell us like this, the average American has only two close friends. In fact, some of you today, maybe when you were trying to write down your five closest friends, maybe you were even having a hard time being able to write down five. It's because the average American only has Two close friends. And what's even more sad than that is that that has changed in the last 25 years. In fact, 25 years ago, the average American had four or five, sometimes even six close friends. And now, just 25 years later, most Americans only have about two. In fact, one statistic says that one out of every four Americans report that they don't even have one close friend. 
what is this? Why is this, why is this happening? I, I don't really know all about it, but I do know that there, there are some things, some trends, some things that are happening in our world today that really contribute to this kind of relational bankruptcy that we have in our world today. And one of the things is that we, we've become less concerned with face-to-face relationships, relationships and a whole lot more concerned with our online image. Right, And so many times we, we become so much about putting out the image in front of everybody else so that they can see who we want them to see that we are. And we're not very good at opening up and truly sharing who we really are to people around us. I mean, think about this. All right, chances are... That, that 15 years ago, probably you didn't, while you're eating your breakfast, call everybody that you know and tell them exactly what you're eating for breakfast. <laughs> but nowadays, what do we do, man? We got to get our phone out, take a picture of it, and we got to get it angled just right and put just the right filter on it and make it look just, I mean, we put a frame around it. Sometimes we even do a little collage, you know, of what it looks like, and we post it on Instagram or on Facebook for everybody that we know, our thousand friends to see it, and then we sit back and wait for people to like it and comment on it so that we'll feel good about ourselves, right? I'm guilty of it too, and we think we're being connected, and yet really what we're doing is getting more and more and more isolated, In fact, I believe that we're more isolated today than probably ever before. As connected as we are through the internet, social media, and all of these things, more and more and more we become lonely, we become isolated. And this loneliness and this kind of isolation has some effects upon our lives. In fact, if you're writing, if you're taking notes, just write a couple of these things down. We're just going to hit them real fast. Don't get scared when you see there's five points. We're going to do it quick. What does this kind of isolation do to us? The first thing, it it causes us to have seclusion. In fact, Gallup says that Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. And even with our busy lives and our overcommitted schedules and our crowded cities and with a thousand friends on Facebook and we got more likes and more fans and more followers, but we are more alone than ever before. Something's missing. We seclude ourselves. The second one is this, is that, is that we become selfish. I don't know if you, if you realize this or not, but the more secluded we become and the more isolated we become, the more selfish we become. The more it becomes about me and my life and my schedule and what I'm doing and my agenda and my desires, the chances are we're becoming more and more and more selfish. And so many times we get disconnected from others and we become a little bit self-absorbed and we become a little bit self-centered, and it all stems from this doing life isolated from others. Number three, there's a sadness that comes. In fact, the truth is, isolated people battle more with discouragement and depression and unhappiness, sometimes even despair. You can see it throughout the scripture. You might remember a few months ago, we studied Elijah, and we talked about how how Elijah, hello, there's a spotlight there. We talked about how Elijah When was it that he became discouraged? This man of God who had the power and the anointing of God upon his life, but the discouragement and the despair, even to the point when he wanted to take his own life, came when he left his servant and he went off on his own. And some of you are here today and you're discouraged and you're depressed. And the reason is, is because you're doing life on your own and there's there's this discouragement and this sadness that comes from this loneliness. Number four... 
There's, there's sickness that comes when we are alone. In fact, research has shown that the most isolated people are three times more likely to die than those who have strong relational connections. Man, there's something powerful about this, that it doesn't even just affect our emotions. It affects us physically. In fact, in some studies, it has shown that people who have bad health habits like smoking, eating poorly, or alcohol problems, but have strong social ties, live significantly longer than those people who have great eating habits but are isolated. I'd say the moral of the story is it's better to eat Krispy Kreme with friends than celery by yourself. How many know what I'm saying? Number five, when we're isolated, there's, there's more of a tendency towards sin. The truth is, is, is that the more we get away from relationships with others, the more tempted we're going to become, the more the enemy is going to attack. Anybody ever watch uh, Discovery Channel before, right? And you see, you see the Discovery Channel where the, where the lion, you know, is you know, it's going slow motion or whatever, attacking that zebra. And what zebra is it that always gets attacked? It's not the one in the herd close with the rest of the zebras. It's the one that's straight off out by themselves. And the truth is, is that wolves attack lone sheep. And we are God's sheep, but we are called to be in a herd. We are called to be in relationship with one another. And the more isolated we become, the more easily we will be attacked. And you see it throughout the scripture. You see David, when David fell into, into a, a sin with Bathsheba. What was it? He was at home when all the other warriors were out at war. He was isolated by himself when he should have been with the rest of his community. It was in that time when Peter sat by the fire and he denied Christ three times. Where was he? He was there by himself, isolated from the rest of his community that he should have been a part of. And the more isolated we become, the more easy we become to attack, the more easily we are to fall to sin and to problems and to struggles in our lives. We We need relationships with one another. We need friends. So what do we do about it? I mean, how in the world do we find these kind of relationships, these kind of friendships? If if your friends are a picture of your future and if isolation is so destructive, then how do we find this kind of friend? Well, I want us to look at this passage in Proverbs 18 and verse 24, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. It says, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. Everybody say friendly. A man who has friends must show himself friendly. Here's the deal, all right? You ready for this? This is real profound. If you want to have friends, you got to be a friend. If you want to have friends, you got to you got to be the kind of friend that you want to have. So many times we sit around and go, I don't have any friends. I don't know anybody. I don't well, guess what? If you don't have friends, it's because you're not being a friend. And the more you be the kind of friend that God wants you to be, the more you will begin to have these kinds of friends in your life. So how do we become the kind of friend? The kind of friend that sticks closer than a brother? How do we become the kind of friend that is there for adversity? That loves at all times. How do we become this kind of friend? Then let's, let's look at this today. And I just want to just hit three things. All right. You ready? Number one. The first thing we got to do is we got to show up. Everybody say show up. It starts right here. here. Here's how you become the kind of friend. You just got to start being present. 
There's power in presence, isn't there? There's power when we, just, when we just show up. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. I think this is so good. I will develop my friendships face-to-face, not just thumbs-to-thumbs. Isn't that so good? And some of you, you know, it's not thumbs-to-thumbs. Some of you, it's finger-to-finger because you're not very good with the texting thing. But here's the deal. Is, is we've got to decide that, hey, I'm going to do life face-to-face. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be... Present. I don't know if, if you've ever seen this before. Maybe you're the family that's doing it. If you go to a restaurant and you see a family of four or a family of five sitting at the restaurant, and while they're sitting there at the restaurant, all five of them are on their phones. You ever seen that before? Some of y'all hadn't seen it because you're the one on your phone, you know? <laughs> and it's like, we're there, but we're not there. And in order to have friends, you got to be a friend. In order to be a friend, you got to be there. You got to show up. You got to be you got to be present. You got to do life not thumb to thumb, but face to face. In fact, look what the scripture says in Hebrews 10 and verse 24. It says, "Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and not giving up meeting together." Everybody say together. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. How many would say that a lot of people have gotten into this habit that I'm not doing life face to face. I'm doing it on my phone. I'm doing it on my Facebook. I'm doing it. I'm sitting at home watching Netflix, whatever. And the Bible says, don't give up the habit of meeting to, together. But it says, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The scripture says, we've got to show up. We've got to get together. We've got to meet together face to face we've got to be present there's power in presence in fact you know when you're going through a struggle when you're going through a hard time it's it's great isn't it to get somebody send you a text message and say hey i love you i'm praying for you it's great when somebody sends you an email or even a phone call or whatever those are those are all great but how many know there's just nothing like somebody showing up and being there when you're going through a struggle, when you're going through a hard time, just a, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it's about a month ago or so now, um, I got a phone call. It was one of those phone calls you don't ever want to get. A young man who was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor years ago out in West Texas, and now he was a young man about 30 years old or so, uh, committed suicide. And his family, his close friends of ours, had been in our church for a long time. We'd stayed connected with them. And... Man, what do you do? You know, as a pastor, what do you say and what do you do? And I go there to be with the family and be there for, for the funeral services. And I'm telling you, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I, I, you know, I'm trying to do, say the pastoral stuff and do the pastoral stuff or whatever. But I just feel like I'm not really making any difference for this family or whatever. And I come home and a, and a few days later I get a card in the mail that I'm thinking I didn't do anything. And I really didn't do anything. And the family just says, thank you so much for being there. You being there meant the world to us. And man, it's great to send some. I could have sent him a text or a card. I love you. I'm praying for you. But to get in the car and to drive 300 miles and to be there for the family, just being there made the difference for them. And I'm telling you, there's something powerful about when someone's struggling, when someone's down, when your friend is in that, in that down time. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is there for times of adversity. That when they're going through a struggle, if you want to be this kind of 
of friend. If you want to be or have the kind of friends that's there for you in the struggle, you be the kind of friend that's there for them in the struggle. There's power in presence. And not just when someone's struggling, but the Bible tells us to mourn with those who mourn, but it also tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm telling you, there are times in my life when someone has just been there for me when I'm going through a good time. I'm thinking about just a, a few months ago when I got my ordination or before that when I graduated and friends came to be there on that night for me. And how just to celebrate that last week as we introduced Pastor Cassie, our new kids pastor, there was like two whole rows of her family and her friends who just wanted to be there for her on that special day. There's power in just showing up. There's power in presence. There's power in being there for others in their good times and in their bad times. In fact, the Bible says it like this, when two or three gather together, not when two or three text each other or when two or three talk on Facebook, but when two or three gather together, I will be there among them in their midst. When we are present with one another, another God's presence shows up in the middle of that and there's something powerful about it and I'm not just talking about physical presence either I'm talking about mental I'm talking about you know how many know that sometimes you can be there and not really be there right I mean you can do that in your marriage you can do that with your kids can do that with your friends. You're there, but you're not really there. And wouldn't it, wouldn't it change our relationships if we just decided, hey, I'm going to put the phone away, and I'm going to stop thinking about work. I'm going to stop thinking about all these other things. And when I'm there, I'm going to be there. And the person that is right in front of me is going to be my top priority right now. Instead of wondering what somebody said on Facebook or who's texting me or what's going on somewhere with somebody that's not in front of me, what if I decided that the person in front of me is going to be the most important thing at this moment. And wherever I am, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be present. How many know that would change our relationships? Number one, show up. Everybody say show up. Number two, write this down. You're going to have to open up. There's this new and fastest growing phobia in America today. I'm not sure what it's called, but here's, here's what it is basically. It's the fear of talking on the phone. Now you're laughing about that, but some of you have this phobia, and it really is a real phobia that when someone calls, I've done it before, I'm sure some of you have, somebody calls and you just want to, I mean, I'm telling on myself, I'm not supposed to say stuff like that when I'm a pastor, but somebody calls, <laughs> edit that part out, all right? And you, you're like, I don't know what they want, and so what do you, what do, you do? Let it go to voicemail, right? So that you can then listen to the voicemail, see what they want, and then you can, you can think about how you want to respond, and then you can text them a response. Come on, am I the only one? Right? And there's this, there's this fear. It's the fear of talking on the phone. And you know where it comes from? It comes from the fact that when you're talking with someone, you can't control the conversation. And when you're texting with somebody, amen, that's good. Got my amen corner over here. I like it. That's, number, that's point number four. If you want to be a friend and you say amen during the sermons. That's how you be pa- a pastor's friend. We'll do that later in the series. 
Isn't that how we do? Because we, 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 we can't control the conversation. And so when we're texting with someone or when we're emailing someone or whatever, we can have time to think about what we're going to say. And then we have time to perfectly craft our nice little response exactly the way. And we control the conversation. And what it comes down to really is we've really lost the art of face-to-face. And we no longer know how to communicate with one another. We no longer know how to open up and share our hearts with one another. We're guarded. We've put this perfectly crafted image upon a screen that makes everyone look at how we want them to see us. And we've got this wall up between us and them. Sure, we'll get on Facebook and we'll put a little something or a little, we'll send a little text or whatever. But truly being able to communicate our heart to someone else is something that we struggle with in this culture today. And if you really want to have friends, it's got to be something that comes from the heart. And you've got to open up and show people who you really are. You've got to have those face-to-face conversations. It doesn't happen thumbs-to-thumbs. It happens face-to-face. Look what the Bible says in James 5 and verse 16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins. Look at this. To who? To each other. Everybody say each other. To each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Check this out. It doesn't say confess your sins to a priest. It doesn't say confess your sins to God, although you should confess your sins to God. But right here, James is talking about relationships. He's talking about the kind of friendships we're talking about. And he says, confess your sins to who? To each other. So that you might be healed. Look at this. Healing comes when we begin to have relationships with one another that go beyond the surface, that go down to the depths, that go down to where we're really at, where we truly begin to open up and share life with one another. Let me just give you a little commercial here. This is the kind of stuff that happens in life groups. This is why life groups are so important. This is why we're challenging you every week to get involved in a life group. By the way, it starts this week. Good timing, right? It's where you get together. And what could happen if you could get together with a group of people where you just begin to open up and begin to share your struggles with one another and begin to share where you're really at with one another. And then others will begin to share what they're going through. And then you begin to pray for one another. Imagine the kind of healing that could begin to happen in your life, in your family, in your relationships. Imagine the kind of things that could happen as you begin to open up with one another. In fact, write this down. I don't think it's in your notes, but you should write it down. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. You know, when I look online and I see someone who's put their perfect picture up there or their perfect statement or whatever, I see their life and what they've crafted for me to see on their online image. You know what it really makes me do? It makes me feel a little insecure. It makes me feel like, man, I'm not doing as good as they are. Man, I'm not. Because they've made it look so perfect that it's just like I can't measure up to that. But when someone sits down with me and, and shares with me, man... You know, I'm struggling with this and God is helping me with this. And they begin to just share and just open and be real and say, here's where I'm at and here's what's really going on. You know what it makes me do? It makes me connect with them more. In fact, it makes me feel like, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm doing okay too. And maybe, you know, hey, I relate to that because I've struggled with that too. And I felt that way before. And we, we impress people with our image, with our strengths. But we truly connect with people through our weaknesses. 
when we open up, when we let people in, we let people see. In fact, I like what my friend Josh Brown said years ago, and I've always remembered it, that word intimacy. We all want intimacy, right? Well, intimacy is kind of like this, into me see. If you want intimacy in your relationships, here's what you have to do. You have to open up and you have to let people see inside of you. And not just the image that you have crafted, not just the wall that you have put up. You have to tear the wall down and you have to open up and you have to share and you have to be real. Now, I know that's risky and I know that, hey, even in a great church like LifeGate, there's, there's a chance that you could get hurt. Someone couldn't understand. And here's the deal. I'm going to tell every one of you as your pastor, if someone in your life group opens up and begins to share something, it better stay right Right there. Or you're going to be dealing with me. That's all I got to say about that. Because we want to create a safe environment where people can come and they can be who they are. And they can be loved no matter what's going on in their life. And we, I know that there will be times, and I know no church is perfect. But, every, but in our hearts, more than anything, what we want to be is that kind of place where people can come. And you can just come just the way that you are. And you can open up and share and know that there will be grace and that there will be love. And that there will be people to come alongside of you and help you. We don't want you to stay the way that you are. We want to help you to grow but we're going to love you just as you are. And as you open up and as you in, let people see inside of you, that's when you begin to connect and have these kind of relationships that we're talking about. We crave intimacy, but we rarely give anyone a glimpse into the real us. So you're going to have to show up. You're going to have to open up. Number three, shameless, unapologetic plug for life groups. Number three, you've got to sign up. This week we began our life groups and in your worship guide today there's a, there's a forum there to let you know about all the different groups that are going to be meeting throughout the week and where they're meeting and all of those things. This week we actually remember to put a place there for your name and your phone and your email. We forgot that last week. And here's what I challenge you to do. Every single one of you before you leave today, just fill one of these out. Pick one of these groups. Turn it in at the Welcome Center and get signed up for a group. Now, that's not the only reason that I made this last point, sign up, although I thought that was kind of clever and it was pretty good. But here's the deal. The reason I use that terminology, sign up, is that friendship is a commitment. And when you, when you want to have this kind of friends, here's what you do. You sign up for it. And you sign up to be there, not just for a moment, but to be there for life. When you're a friend, when you are this kind of friend, what does the Bible say? A friend loves at what? At all times. It's a commitment that we make that I'm going to be this kind of friend for others. In fact, the, the Bible says it in James 3 and verse 18. It says, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. How many know getting along with one another sometimes is hard work? How many know being a friend sometimes is hard work? How many know that sometimes in church or in a life group there are those EGR people, extra grace required? How many know what I'm saying? Sometimes 
is hard work. But the Bible says that if we do the hard work of getting along with one another, we can have a healthy community that is living right with God and is enjoying the results if we will do the hard work of loving each other, getting along with one another, treating each other with dignity and honor, being the kind of friend that we would want people to be for us. The Bible says in Acts 2 and verse 42 about the first church, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? To fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What was this? It was a commitment. They signed up for it. They said we are committed to this. We are committed to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to relationships with one another, to breaking of bread and to and to praying together. In Hebrews 10, 25, it says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. This is an ongoing thing. It's something that we don't just do one time or two times or three times. This is something that we work hard at, something that we devote ourselves to, something that we make a habit in our lives. And if you make it a habit of being there for others, if you make it a habit of opening up to others, if you make it a habit of investing in and working hard on relationships, then it becomes who you are. Amen, pastor. That's good. Community is not built on convenience. It's built on commitment. We make a commitment. Hey, I'm going to be there for others. I'm going to open up, share my life with others. I'm not just going to do it once or twice. I'm not going to just go to life group and then be like, oh, they made that like a big deal and then it really wasn't a big deal. Well, it's not a big deal the first time or the second time or the third time. But about the tenth time you start going, man, I love these people and I can't wait to see them again next week. And I commit to it and I do it over and over and over and over. And it begins to change our lives. You see, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you don't have any friends, you don't have the kind of future that God intends for you to have. Your friends will influence your life. And maybe some of you are here this morning. And maybe, maybe you're missing out on this kind of relationships, and this kind of community, these kind of friends that we're talking about, and maybe today you just may, need to make a commitment. Maybe you, maybe you need to have some, some new friends. Maybe you need to have, start some new relationships today. I, I love this story. I'll close with this. I heard this years ago, but I, I just have always loved it. It says, for years, Monterey, California was a pelican's paradise. The town was a site of many fish canneries. In fact, it was the home of Cannery Row. Pelicans loved the town because the fishermen cleaned their catch and they would discard the offal and the pelicans would feast on those scraps. And in Monterey, any pelican could be well fed fed without having to work for a meal. But as time went by, the fish along the California coastline were depleted. One by one, the canneries all shut down. That's when the pelicans got in trouble. You see, pelicans are naturally great fishers. They fly in groups over the waves of the sea And when they find fish, they dive into the water and scoop out their catch. But these pelicans had not fished in years. They had grown fat and lazy. And now that their easy meals were gone, they were actually starving to death. Environmentalists from the area racked their brains to figure out how to help the pelicans. And finally, they came up with a solution. They imported pelicans from another area, ones that were used to foraging for their food every day. And they mixed the fix them with the local birds. 
The newcomers immediately started fishing for their food, and it wasn't long before the starving native birds joined them and started fishing for themselves again. I guess you could say birds of a feather really do flock together. (laughs) Here's the deal. Some of you, you've got some old habits, some old routines. Some of you are some of these things. You're, You're isolated. You're lonely. Some of you have become selfish. Some of you have got some depression, some sadness. Some of you even have some physical problems that are a result of not having the kind of relationships that you were made for, that you were built for. Some of you keep falling into the same old patterns of sin over and over and over and over in your life. And here's the solution for you today. You need some new friends. You need some relationships. You need some people who can walk alongside you, some people who can lift you up and who can encourage you, some people that will celebrate you when things are going good and that will, that will mourn with you when things are going bad, some people who will hold you accountable, who will help you not to make the bad decisions and when you start going in the wrong direction people who will love you enough to pull you back and say hey don't go that way come this way some people that will be there for you the only way that you get that is you got to become that you start being that kind of person that you say man I'm going to show up I'm going to be present I'm going to open up I'm going to start looking for people that that are in my in my life there there are people right now you may be sitting next to them right now that could be that kind of friend for you but in order to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. So here's what we're going to do. I want everybody to stand on your feet this morning. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. First of all, here this morning, some of you are in this place and you're not where you need to be in relationship with God. That most important friendship of all And that friendship's not in the right place. See, the Bible says that there is one who sticks closer than a brother. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. One that has laid down his life for you. One that knows you more intimately than anybody else could ever know you. And yet, even though he knows all there is to know about you, he still loves you. Some of you are here today and you say, but... Pastor, if you only knew what I'd done, what I'd thought, and what I'd said, and where I'd been, the mistakes I've made, you wouldn't like me. The truth is, I'm not perfect. I'm a human being. But I'm here to tell you that there is one that no matter what you've done, where you've been, he sees it all and he loves you anyway. And he wants to have a friendship with you. He wants to have a relationship with you with you. He's already showed up. He sent his only son onto this earth to live a sinless life and die. He's opened up and given us all that he has. He opened his arms out wide like this for us. I love you this much. He gave himself.